Good morning, everyone. Today is October 29th, another Thursday morning, and today we are looking at Amos chapter 3. It is getting towards the end of October, and November is going to be here this weekend. Can you believe we're already to November? This will be our last lesson in October, and it is cold outside. It has been so cold. It's, it's crazy. It's unfair. It's like we've gone from 80 to 40 or 30 how about a couple days in the 60s? That would be nice. But anyway, wherever you may be, thanks for joining us today. And uh, if you're listening to this later on the Grace Abides podcast, thank you for making this part of your time. If you're watching this on YouTube later, uh, you may be watching this from somewhere colder, somewhere warmer, but uh, we're glad that you're here. Good morning to those who are joining us live. Good morning, Jackie and Dee. Hope you are both doing well and staying warm and staying dry and taking good care of yourself. So today, we are in Amos chapter 3. So far, Amos chapter 1, uh, Amos, the, the shepherd who basically comes off the pasture, right, uh, has no theological training, comes in and starts speaking on behalf of God and starts talking about all of Israel's neighbors who have done terrible things to Israel and who have done terrible things and starts proclaiming judgment on them. And then Amos chapter 2 turns to, um, turns to Israel and starts talking about all the things that Israel has done, all the terrible things that Israel has done. So you can find those uh, on the Grace Abides website, uh, Grace Abides podcast, or uh, on uh, the YouTube channel where we're posting these. So good morning, Peggy. Uh, great to have you here. So now we're in Amos chapter three, talking more about Israel. So we're just going to jump right in to verses one and two. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known for all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So Israel's rejection of God uh, is more inexcusable than the other nations in light of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't you remember that? I have done things for you. Don't you remember that? The fact that you choose not to remember that, and the, the fact that you choose to be disobedient, even though of all the things I've done for you, uh, it, it's it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. So uh, Amos calls the people of Israel to remember what God has done for them and to live their lives accordingly. To remember what God has done for them and to live their lives accordingly. So the, the central act of God's of of God working in the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus, right? The story where the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. God delivers them out from the hand of Pharaoh through the Red Sea and then gives them the promised land, right? Gives them a place to live. That's the central story of the Old Testament. For us, for those of us who are living today, right? The central story of our lives, the central story of what God has done for humanity is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? well, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so if Amos were talking to us today, it would hear, you know, I, I have brought you, I have, I have redeemed you from sin, death, and the devil through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and live your life accordingly. You of all people should know, you of all people should know what God has done and live your lives accordingly because of what God has done for you. Same thing would be said, could be said to us, but not so much the deliverance of Egypt brought you out of, out of the land of Egypt, but what Jesus has done for us. And so live your life with gratitude. Live your life uh, where you are obedient to God, 
because of what Jesus has done for you. I think that's a really important piece that um, that Amos would say to us today. Uh, and so something I think we all need to hear. I uh, got a few jumping on. Good morning, Patty and Georgie, Bill and Deb. Great to great to have you with us. Hope you're all doing well and staying warm. Deb, how how cold is it up in Michigan this morning? Uh, I can only if it's if it's cold here, I can only imagine how cold it is there. Or maybe it's warmer there. Maybe it's time for a, a road trip. So, okay, we go th- going on to verses three and six. Th- sorry, three through six. Can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? So we have these seven questions, well, six questions, basically, six statements that are obviously true. Can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? So basically, can you go for a walk with a friend without first calling them or, or a family member and saying, hey, let's go for a walk, right? No, people don't go for walks together by accident. I mean, it may happen, right? You may go for a walk and your neighbor walks, oh, hey, you want to go for a walk? But uh, the, the idea here is that you know, these six statements are obvious truths or these six questions are obvious truth. It would be the equivalent of us today saying, is the Pope Catholic? right? Just something that is completely, completely obvious, right? Can two go for a walk unless they've agreed to do so? No. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Be a waste waste of a roar, right? And so these are obvious answers. And so then the seventh is the scariest, right? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? So basically you say, is the Pope Catholic? Yes. All right. So then will disaster come to a city if has not the Lord caused it? Yes. So when you see these other cities that have gone through, you know, that the judgment of the Lord has been executed on this city, know that it is of the Lord, right? And so uh, each statement here reinforces the final point, the the last statement. When judgment comes against the cities of Israel and, and of Israel's neighbors, everyone should know that it was the Lord who has done it. It won't be an accident, fate, or bad luck. It'll be the hand of God following through on the judgment that Amos has, has, has proclaimed. Um, and so uh, we have to ask, we have to, I mean, the, 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 the question that this leads to is what things today, what things in the last 50, 100 years can we say have been done by God, if any, and what have happened by accident? What has happened because that's nature? What has happened? You know, and so how do we see God playing God's hand in playing out, you know, how nations and and cities fall today? I think that's, you know, something that that we struggle with, right? You know, does God send hurricanes? Does God send earthquakes? Does God, does God take sides in a, in a, in a war? Um, I, I would say this is an Old Testament understanding, right? This is an Old Testament understanding based on the Mosaic covenant of I will be my I will be your God and you will be my people if you do these 10 things. After Jesus, the new covenant, the new covenant is, you know, that 
that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not based on our ability to be obedient, but it's based on our faith. And therefore, God has no longer, uh, God is no longer in the game of punishing. God is no longer, uh, that's what I would say. But it's, it's, it's a difficult question and one that I think we need to, you know, I, I'm sure we've all thought it before. So good morning, Claudia. Deb, it's 46 now, high of 51. I think it might get to 50 here today, but it is windy. And I'll tell you, there's nothing colder than a Texas winter wind. Man, it just goes right through anything you have on. So, uh, that, uh, yeah, so you're probably basically the same as us. So um, misery loves company, right? <laughs> uh, ho- hopefully we get some warmer weather soon. But um, you all didn't, you all aren't listening to this to hear about the weather. So, but uh, glad you are listening and thanks for joining us. And great to have you here, Deb. And uh, miss all the folks up at St. John and Romeo. Uh, was such a wonderful congregation to grow up in. Good morning, Pastor Kathy. Great to have you joining us. Okay, verses seven through eight. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? So basically what he's saying is God revealed the secrets to the prophets and and it was prophesied for years and years before it happened. So Israel would have every opportunity to repent. So Israel will not be surprised when it does happen. So so, Amos is saying basically, don't blame me. I'm only the messenger. Don't blame me. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. You've had your chance. We've given, God has given you every opportunity to turn around. God has spoken to you through the prophets. God, and so don't be surprised. I mean, being a prophet is not a fun job. Being a prophet is, I mean, because typically prophets have to say, you know, y'all need to change your ways or else, right? And when none of us want to hear that in life. None of us want to hear that. We don't want to hear people say, if you don't change your ways, bad things are going to happen to you. I mean, it's not a fun job. But I mean, we have to ask the question today, does God do anything without revealing it to a prophet first? I, well, based on what I said a few minutes ago that we don't believe, I don't believe that God still is in this game of, of punishment and destruction and that kind of thing because of the new covenant. I think God, uh, God has, you know, put, set that aside. And so I don't know if there's uh, prophets out there today who are proclaiming judgment in this way. But I would certainly say that there are prophets out here today. I think one of the jobs of being a pastor is being a prophet, right? Is speaking God's words, is, is saying to a community what God would have that community hear, right? That's the job of a prophet. And typically in the Old Testament, that, that meant, you know, difficult things to hear. But today I would say that, you know, the prophets speak the gospel, and the gospel is not something that is so difficult to hear. It's good news. Sometimes it challenges the way we live, but at the same time, it's, it's good news, the forgiveness of sins uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, saved by grace through faith. That's, that's good news. All right, verses 9 through 10. Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do, they don't know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. So, okay, this is kind of, this is a strange one. Basically, God invites the nations, the fortresses of Ashdod, the fortresses, God invites the leaders of these nations. Come and watch as I bring judgment upon Israel. Come and watch. 
see what I'm going to do to my own people and know why I've done this because they store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted because they have done what is wrong. And so come and watch as I destroy my people, right? Come and watch. Come and watch as I punish them. I mean, that's not, that's not fun to say. That's not fun to, to hear, right? And, and I mean, this was fulfilled less than 30 years after Amos as the Assyrian army invaded Israel. And for 10 years, Israel was a subject state in the Assyrian Empire. This, I mean, this, this happened. And, but, you know, come and watch. Come and watch while I do this. Uh, okay, pretty rough. All right, verse 12. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued, with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. (laughs) What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so as a shepherd takes from the mouth of the lion uh, two leg bones or a piece of an ear, Exodus 22, 10 through 13 says that, if an animal dies in the care of a shepherd, the shepherd must make restitution to the owner of the animal, unless that shepherd can bring the remains that demonstrate that the animal was attacked by a predator. So if, if you can bring uh, the bones that show that clearly the animal was attacked by a lion, well, then you don't have to make restitution. But if, if, if you can't bring anything, basically what's saying is that your sheep ran off. Right. Your whatever animal you have in, 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 in care of a shepherd, it ran off because the shepherd wasn't doing his job. And so then you have to make restitution. So then Amos's comparison is this, that when invasion comes for the people of Israel, devastation will be so complete that all that will be left, all that will be left as proof of the devastation is scraps of furniture, the head of a bed and the piece of fabric from a couch. All that will be left are scraps of furniture. And that will be the only proof that, that people haven't run away. That will be the only proof of the devastation. That will be the only proof of the loss, of the Lord's judgment. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those things like the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, right? I mean, oh, that's, that's tough to hear. I mean, how do you respond when you hear something like that? I mean, what do you say when you hear something like that? I mean, that's just, ah, who would be the one who'd want to say that? I mean, you know, the only thing that's going to be left are the scraps of your furniture. But, you know, when you, when you see devastated land after, after, you know, a place has been bombed out or uh, after war, I mean, that's basically what you see, right? You see scraps of furniture and, and so this vision is a vision that we can see. I mean, you, you know, you look at some of the cities in, in, in France after World War II and, you know, you just see rubble and, and scraps of furniture and it's, it's just, it's devastating. It's devastating. So, okay, verses 15, 14 through 15. This will be the last reading for the day. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Okay, so a couple of things going on here. The altars of Bethel and the mansions are going to be demolished. God's judgment 
is not going to stop at places of worship that are outside that are you know, idol worship that that are you know places outside of Jerusalem, places where there shouldn't be worship, and where the horns, the altars, the horns of the altar, you know, places where they're doing idol worship, not worship. They're worshiping other than God. But it'll it'll also extend to places built and enjoyed through oppression and robbery, right? The through you know you you've been taking innocent people and you've been selling them as slaves and you have been uh, you've been profiting off of other people and you are oppressing people and you are getting rich because of it and and so actually archaeologists have found that in the age prior to Jeroboam the second the houses in Israel cities were roughly the same size. But they find that starting in around the 8th century BC, ancient cities have a neighborhood of large, expensive houses and other neighborhoods of small, crowded houses, smaller than the houses from previous years. So there was a switch where everyone lived in basically the same size house. And then the switch is that, okay, some people have really big houses and some people have really small houses. And so then you have large houses filled with marks of prosperity and rich, uh, you know, it's adorned with ivory you know um and so the 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 rich who who gain all this money off of oppressing others uh find safety in these big houses and they're adorned with all this stuff uh but god's judgment is coming against those houses just you know as amos says god is going to tear down the winter house the summer house and the mansion uh which you know it's it it just makes me think right makes me think and for those of you who are here today, I'd love to hear from you. How big was the house you grew up in? How big was the house you grew up in? I know my mother grew up in Harper Woods, Michigan. And from what I understand, the house was about 800 square feet. And it had, you know, she, she had, it was her, her sister and two brothers, and then her mom and dad. So there were six people living in a house, 800 square feet, right? So basically everyone had, I don't know, what, 150 square feet. If, if you just times, you know, 800 divided by six, and I know that's not right. It would be 900 square feet, but basically, you know, 150 square feet. And, and, you know, then I think about my family, me, my wife and my daughter, and we live in a house that's like 2,500 square feet. So, I mean, you divide that by three and that's like 800 square feet per person, which you had 800 square feet for six people. And now you have 800 square feet per person. It's, it's a striking difference. Right. And so I often wonder, what would my grandparents think about the size of my house? What would my grandparents think about it? And now, my, I mean, my grandmother, uh, I knew my grandmother, she, she passed away in 2007. And so, you know, she she was aware of you know, my sister's house, which was which was, you know, big. But but if you think about you and your grandparents, right, you know, if you grew up, Claudia says 1300 square feet for five people. You know, Claudia, what would your grandparents think about the size of your house? You know, I've never been to your house. I have no idea. You know, I don't know how big it is, but I'm just thinking, you know, I just what would my great grandparents think? Right. You know, about the size of our houses. And, and so, th- I mean, I'll say all that to say this. You know, what does God think? What does God think about the size of our homes uh, compared to the, the size of homes of people who live in other areas and countries? You know, uh, so I, I've been to Fiji. I've built houses in Fiji and I've seen the size of those houses. You know, two rooms, right, for six people. You know, so so what 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 would God look look at at our house and and what would God say about our house versus the house they live in? You know, does 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 God uh, does God care? I probably probably not necessarily about the size of our house, but about the way we live and the way that you know we we have access and um, you know 
we could certainly do more sharing, I think, is, um, is, is what God would say we could do more, uh, more sharing. Uh, Tina, hey, Tina, how are you? I grew up in Indiana, had a four-bedroom, full-basement home for three children, nine, five, and one. Uh, cool. Um, uh, it's, so we're doing something, um, something right now. Uh, Sunday is going to be All Saints Sunday, so we've been remembering the saints this week. And uh, one, of the, one of the saints that we remembered yesterday was Jim Fox. Uh, who passed away in 2014? Good friend of ours uh, was very, you know, very. I was very close to him, but he. I remember him telling the story about how, you know, there was a bunch of them growing up in a house in North Fort Worth, and him and his brother, him and his brother slept in a in a bed on the back porch, on the back porch. It was, and, and so you know, when it got cold, they would there was it was a screened in porch, and they would you know bring something down over the screen, but it, you know, and he said it was it was cold, it was cold, uh, in just a different way of living. Just a, uh, Jackie says, teeny tiny houses in England where I grew up. Yeah, I mean, um, but I, I assume that, uh, uh, yeah, well, I was in Scotland a year ago and, you know, a lot of people still live in, you know, that they haven't built a whole lot of new houses over there. <laughs> so, um, well, maybe they have, but not in the places that, uh, in St. Andrews, but uh, it's an old city. So uh, Craig and I, uh, Craig and I had case while in a two bedroom tiny house, but loved it. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, the, Times are changing, right? Times are changing, you know, based if we can just look back generations, if we can look back on the generations of our families and, and our life, we can see, you know, how this change has happened uh, in America. And then we can, you know, hear what is said here, this idea that that over the course of time that in ancient Israel, there were giant houses, right? Giant houses and small houses. And, uh, you know, just something to think about. Again, God is not proclaiming judgment on the United States. You know, God has kind of set this aside and it is now our salvation is based on, on grace through faith. But, uh, but I think it's something to think about when we think about, you know, our generosity and, and how in, in ways that we can help others and share with others. So, Okay, we will stop there. We will stop there. Um, worship this weekend, All Saints Sunday. We will have worship outdoors at 9 a.m. It might be a little cold, but uh, bring a blanket. We'd love to have you. We still have plenty of room for indoor service at 11. So if you want to make a reservation for indoor service, just send me an email. And of course, we will be uh, live streaming right here on the Abiding Grace uh, Facebook page. So thank you for joining me today. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I will see you very soon, and we'll close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you uh, for loving us, even though we don't deserve it, for giving us salvation, even though we don't deserve it, uh, for making this promise to us that uh, we are saved by your grace alone. And so as we live our lives, let us do so with gratitude, uh, learning how to share what we have so that we can help others live their lives and, and have all that they need. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Thanks again. Take good care of yourselves, and I will see you on uh, Sunday and then next Tuesday.